Alright, well folks, we have reached the point in our study where we are now on the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm going to sit down, because number one, I'm struggling with my back hurting. But number two, this is more discussion than it is me preaching to you guys this, this morning. I'll give you some information out of my studies, but I need you guys to talk with me about this. We're going to just chew this morning on the scriptures. Right now, I've got about 10 minutes after 12. I expect we're going to be done by 12.30, 12.40, unless the Lord just takes off with this and, and really blesses. But I just, I, I told Elsie yesterday, she contacted me, she said, so what are you preaching on, Pastor? And I said, Isaiah 6. She went, well, that's a lot. I said, I know it's a lot. It's because I have been reading and praying and studying, and I haven't a clue what I'm supposed to talk about. Because there's, there's, for me, there's three major divisions in this one chapter. And there's a lot in it. And I, I could just spend a, a week or two just talking about just this. But I didn't want to do that. I, just, I, want to, to, I don't want to, to chew on the little minutia stuff. I want to I just get an over, a sense of what's going on. So let's, first of all, read through. It's only 13 verses. And then we're going to break it down and talk a little bit about a few of the elements. And then I just want to hear your heart about this. So, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces, with two that covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? And I said, Here I am. Excuse me, here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tent remain in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. The word of the Lord. Um, what's a seraph? Let's start there. What's a seraph? Huh? Say that louder. Flaming serpent. 
flaming serpent. This man has studied this passage in the past. And he must have read it in the original uh, language. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what a serpent, excuse me, the word seraph in the, in the Hebrew literally means burning one or flaming one. It also is used for serpent. Remember the story uh, in the Old Testament, in the, in the time of the Exodus, where all the serpents came and were biting people and they had to look up to the serpent, the bronze snake that was up on the pole to be saved from the poisonous bites. The word serpent there is the same idea, the same root word. Okay? So, um, this... We're not given a full understanding because all we hear, all we have is the word seraph. Okay? We have a description of the seraphs. They have a face because they cover it with their wings. They have wings because they cover their face with their wings. They cover their feet with their wings. And they fly with their wings. Apparently they have feet because they cover them. Now, I don't want to get into all of it, but the scholars say that that may not be that they actually have feet, but it just it's covering the lower part of their body. But anyway, um, bottom line is, is they have a, they have a body. Um, we're given to understand that they're kind of snake-like because the same word is used for the serpent idea. But think about this, folks. Go back to Genesis chapter two and three. What? creature convinces Adam and Eve to commit the first sin. A serpent, a snake. Now go into Old Testament mythology. It's in the Bible, but it's mythology, if you will. It's also in the book of Revelation. What happened between Lucifer and God? Anybody? Lucifer had a desire to be elevated higher than he's supposed to be. He was jealous of God, and he led a rebellion of one-third of all of the citizens of, of heaven, the angels, if you will. And they were beaten and then cast out of the presence of God. And we are told that the enemy of our soul, Lucifer, Satan, is now the prince of the power of the air over this world. He has been given some authority over this world. Okay? So think about this. If there are creatures known as seraphs that are snake-like, that are at the throne of God, part of the, if you will, the the attendants of God, the ones who come directly to God, in some scholars they'll say it's the court of God. These are the ones that are the quote-unquote advisors, if you will. So when you read in the book of Job, where God is holding court, and the enemy of our soul, Satan, comes into the court of God, and God turns to him and says, so where have you been? Oh, I've been roaming the earth. This is the idea of a throne room with the Almighty on the throne room with his court of advisors, if you will, his courtiers. And these are seraphs. And apparently, and again, this is we have nothing that we can point to in Scripture and say, that's exactly right. 
This is all logic out. But apparently, think about this, Lucifer, who was apparently a seraph, one of the ones right there around the throne of God, went into rebellion against God, was cast out of heaven, and ended up being on this earth. And he takes the form of the snake in the garden because that's the closest physical representation to what he is or was in earth. I mean, in heaven, in the throne room of God. I can't point scripture and chapter to you to say that's exactly what happened. But if you logic it through, that's possible. It's one possible solution to this. And so the idea is, is that there were these creatures that God created that they stayed around the throne room of God. And what Isaiah saw was these creatures declaring the holiness of God. Now, these seraphs cry out basically two sentences. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I don't know if, if, what your historical background or what your, what your church background is, but there's a type of prayer called antiphonal prayer. And antiphonal prayer is where, well, how many of you guys have ever been in a stadium, a huge stadium, and you start chanting, we love whatever the team is, yes we do, we love our team, how about you? Then the other side of the stadium starts screaming, We love our team! Yes, we do! We love our team! How about you? And then the other side, again, back and forth, and it gets louder and louder and louder. That's antiphonal chanting, if you will. This idea of antiphonal prayer is where a group of people get together and they say part of the prayer on this side and the other group says part of the prayer. So everyone, get your scriptures out. Look at the words. If you don't have it in front of you, I'll give it to you. From uh, from uh, um, the Aris family and the Templis over this way is the Holy, Holy, Holy people. And from Marlene and uh, Mary and the Heidemann and, and, and uh, Melanie. <laughs> I wanted to say Mary and I was like, that's not right. Melanie. Um, over, you guys are the whole earth is full of his glory. So this side, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, or the Lord Almighty, and then you guys, the whole earth is full of his glory. So, go ahead. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God to the temple. 
Now, it may just be that he was there just as a regular Jew, uh, uh, Jewish person, a male who could come so far, or it could be that he was a priest of some sort, we don't know, and that he could go even farther into the temple. Either way, he's in the temple. And while he's in the temple, he has this epiphany. This, it's actually a theophany. A theophany is where you have a vision of God. And this theophany occurs, and he's given a glimpse as if the, the veil before the Ark of the Covenant is ripped open, and he actually sees not this box with holes and tablets inside, but he literally sees the throne of God with the seraphs flying around, burning, glowing. And it says, he was high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And what he heard was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Heaven and earth is full of his glory. This antiphonal prayer going on. And look at what it says in verse 4. The sound of their voices caused the doorposts and the thresholds to shake. And the temple, it says, was filled with smoke. Now if you think about it, what kind of smoke would happen because of shaking? Possibly dust. There's no indication of what this is, but scholars believe that this dust is actually a representation, or this smoke is actually a representation of the glory of God. Let me read to you. Come on. Let me read to you out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. This I'll give you a basic what's going on here. Solomon has built the temple. And the temple is for the very first time being used to offer sacrifices. And the whole nation of Israel has gathered for this. And it says in verse 1 through 3, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices which were on the altar. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshipped and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And so what we've got here is a theophany. God, for whatever purposes, opens up the veil to allow Isaiah to see into the throne room of God. And he hears the antiphonal prayer of the seraphs and he sees the brilliance and the mightiness and the awesomeness of the Holy One who is the King. And he sits there and he goes, Cool. This is amazing! What an awesome opportunity! Ah, this is so great! I'm going to dance in his presence! I'm going to jump up and down because he's my God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. 
chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah says, Oh, I, I can't even use the name. I'm ruined. Why? Because <clears throat> I'm filthy. I am vile. I am, oh my, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I have seen the king. I have seen Jehovah Sabaoth. <coughs> Did you hear what I read in Second Chronicles? When the glory of God filled the temple for the very first time? Every single person, remember I said the nation gathered. Every single person, it says, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they fell on their faces and they worshipped and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Isaiah couldn't even fall on his face in worship. Because he was so aware of his vileness when standing in the presence of holiness. Holy, holy, holy is not an indication of a triune God. Holy, holy, holy is the way in the Hebrew that they say a superlative. I don't have the time this morning to go and show you, but there are other instances in Scripture where the words are repeated three times for an incredible super, superior emphasis. And so when we hear in Revelation, and when we hear in Isaiah, the words holy, 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 this is in the Hebrew a statement of there is nothing holier. There is nothing that compares. This is the ultimate when it comes to purity, holiness, and amazing, powerful glories. This is, you can't describe it. Holy, holy, holy. And so, when we sing songs like, And we cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It should be more than just a little bit of a fun, dancey song. My father-in-law pastored for 32 years in the Church of the Nazarene. In a church that he was in, in I won't name the town, but in, a, in, in his second pastorate, his office was back up behind the front wall of the sanctuary. Okay, so people would come in the back door like we do in ours, and then come in and sit down. And his office was up here, and then there was a changing room over there for people who were going to be baptized to go and go into the baptistry. Okay, so one Sunday morning he's in his office, and it's about a half an hour or so, 20 minutes before the service starts, and he takes out his reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. Okay? And he sets it by the door of his office and he puts the microphone just outside the door of his office into the sanctuary and he hits record. 
And he lets it record for five to ten minutes. And then as the service starts, they have their announcements, they have their singing, they have their whatever they're going to do. And then he steps into the pulpit and he takes his tape player and he holds it up to the microphone and he plays for them a few minutes of their gathering for worship. And he said to them, Folks, what do you think this is a recording of? And some people guessed it was a picnic. Some people guessed it was a, a ball game where people were in the bleachers. Some people guessed that it was you know, just noise in, in, in the town. He said, no, this was just you guys a few minutes ago, just before church. He said, I'm not trying to chew on you. Believe me, I'm not. I love you. But my, my heart for you is, when you come into the presence of God, shouldn't you do something before you actually try to worship Him? Shouldn't there be a moment or two where you just kind of quiet yourself? I'm not saying you have to come in here and not talk. I'm not saying you can't come in here and visit. Because that's, that's right. But shouldn't there be some point where when you're getting ready to worship the Almighty God, you sit quietly for a minute and you be reflective. And just prepare your heart to enter into. And see, as I was reading this, the Lord wouldn't let me. I wanted to. I tried. I tried to read the scholars. I did read about half of my books. But what the Lord kept saying to me was, I just want you to just sit and be with me. And I honestly, in my preparing my heart and preparing my thoughts for this service, thought, God, what can we do to bring the glory down so the church fully experiences what it means to have the glory fill the temple? And the Lord said, oh, I'm a trained monkey now? No. Then what makes you think you can demand me to fill your church with my glory? The response should be, Bob, get on your face before me and pray. And if I let you know that there's sin, confess and repent. And if I happen to fill your church with my glory, praise me and give me thanks. And if I choose to only touch one heart and nobody else, praise me and give me thanks. Because it's my church. And it's my business. And it's how I'm going to do it. <clears throat> See, Isaiah only went into the temple, at least the record shows, he only walked into the temple and had this happen once. And as we go through this book, these 60-some chapters, this is the only time Isaiah is ever going to talk about having a vision of God. Now, other prophets had multiple visions of God. Isaiah, this was his only one. So what that means is, it's never a normal and ordinary thing. It is the extraordinary. It is the exception to the rule. But the one thing that Isaiah didn't have, that we do have, 
Because Isaiah didn't have the death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of God's Son. Isaiah was on the other side, looking forward to the Messiah. We are blessed in that we get to look back to that event. We can, like I tried to help the kids understand this morning, know that we're welcomed into the throne room of God. We are not afraid of, the, of God withholding the scepter and saying, kill him. We know that we'll be welcomed. I liken it in my own mind, in my own heart, that I can literally be invited to climb up into my Abba's lap. And that he will wrap his arms around. He's still the king. He is still the sovereign. He is still Jehovah Sabaoth. And with one word, all of creation snaps to attention. But in Psalm 131, it says, Like a weaned child with its mother is my soul within me. I can sit in the presence of my Abba and know his love. And know his joy, his mercy, his grace. That's a privilege. And one never to be taken advantage of. Because the reality is, he could stand up at any moment, dropping you to the floor and say, enough. And your response would simply be on your face, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be careless. I didn't mean. Now see, there's this incredible dichotomy here. My loving, merciful, gracious Abba and the Almighty One, Jehovah Sabaoth, the ruler of all of creation, all of heaven, who in, in, a, in a thought could obliterate all of and so there's this, and it's, it's not like I'm walking into the bedroom or living room of my drunken alcoholic father and I'm not sure how he's going to respond to me. Okay? Because humans can have that fear. He's got a lot of power, he's going to be careful, he might be in a bad mood, don't want to mess with him. That's not the kind of God that we serve. We know where we stand. We know what our standing is. It is declared that we are the children of God and we are the co-heirs with Christ. We have rights and privileges. We can walk into the throne room of God without fear. However, we can never, ever be flippant. And that's what I got out of this week. I don't know anything else to say to you. I just know that I, I want so desperately for you to understand how glorious and holy and mighty and, and awesome my God is. Yes, I want you to know about His love. Yes, I want to know about you to know about His grace. Yes, I want you to know about His mercy. But today I want you to know that he's my king.